0: for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Monday, October 3rd, 2016. Today's episode of Fighting for the Faith will be... um, code orange revival free that's right there will be no code orange revival for a long time here at fighting for the faith and oh am i glad see if i remember how to do a normal program Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough. I am your servant in Jesus Christ. And this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment. The goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you slow down. Stop, open up your Bible, and compare what people are saying in the name of God to the word of God. I don't know what it is. It's uh, something in the baptismal waters. and yeah, I don't know. But there are a lot of people out there that just think they can just make stuff up. And just because they say so as a Christian, somehow that turns it into doctrine that we need to all be believing and uh, teaching. And it's all based on experience, what seems reasonable to people. And uh, what this program does is it compares what the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed apostles and apostolates, and those put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those who we need to be listening to, whose books we need to be buying, whose worship CDs we need to be playing over and again, uh, (laughs) whose small group curriculum we need to be studying instead of the Word of God, to test and see if what they're saying squares with what God's Word says. And over and again, we demonstrate that there's something really wrong in evangelicalism. And it has become as corrupt and the theology as man-made, and I mean this, as anything we saw in medieval Roman Catholicism. Yeah, it's, (laughs) it's unbelievable. Point this out, though. Uh, challenge what somebody's saying and saying, you know, that's not what the Bible says, and you will be called a hater. You will be somebody who will (laughs) be identified as a troublemaker. Uh Uh-oh, that person is one of those Bible thumpers, one of those wing nuts, one of those, yeah, you get the point. When in reality, um, if you have noticed that somebody is teaching something contrary to Scripture, you're behaving like a Berean. You're doing exactly what it is that God's Word tells us to do. So, who are you going to believe? Man or God? Yeah, something to think about. Okay, so as I said, coming into the program today, today we're going to attempt, it's been a while since we've done this, we're going to attempt a normal episode of Fighting for the Faith. Normal first hour, normal second hour, try to put a theme together here. I mean, we're, we're going to see if this works. I mean, uh man, I have been in agony working my way through the manure pile uh, that was created at the Code Orange revival, and boy, am I glad that we have got that in the back in the rearview mirror. It's behind us, and I I pray that it is a long time before Furtick has another Code Orange revival. Let's let's pray that if he decides to have another one, it won't be for five years. You know, at the 15 year anniversary of Elevation or something like that. Oh man! Wow. Okay, so let's talk about what it is we're going to do on today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. We're going to begin with a prophetic holy orders network information exchange syndicate twin spin. We're going to note something here, especially as we begin. We're going to begin with Patricia King. Then we're going to go with uh, Sean Bowles, and uh, and so in our prophetic holy orders twin spin, we're going to note how they're teaching doctrine. Patricia King is going to actually go through the whole rigmarole of talking about what the Bible says, reading out a portion of Scripture, noting what it says, and then no sooner does she note and highlight what the text says, particularly concerning angels, that uh, she just departs from what the text says and thinks that she now has freedom to just say anything. You know, stuff from her personal experiences, life stories, and things like that. And most of them, actually, the stories that she tells are, well, call me cynical. I don't believe that she's telling the truth. Then uh, with Sean Bowles, um, we're going to listen to him as he talks to us about the um, the mystery of translating God. You ever heard of that mystery? I've never heard of that mystery. That's a new mystery to me. In fact, it's quite mysterious. And then Terry Savelle Foy, she has started a new television program. Yeah, uh uh-huh. 30-minute long TV program. Makes me wonder if she's going to be broadcasting on the Hillsong channel. And uh, the name of the episode that we're going to spend some time in and note how she uses scripture and then weaves it in with personal experience and stuff like that. Is, uh, is, the name of the episode is Using the Gift of Your Imagination. Imagination. And then uh, and then in hour number two, we're going to head down to Church by the Glades. He's been working his way through a movie sermon series. And uh, David Hughes is going to be doing a movie, uh, not, oh, not a movie, a sermon, <laughs> a sermon that supposedly is picking up on one of the themes of the movie Frozen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, so that will be today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. sounds normal, doesn't it? I mean, I, <laughs> what am I going to do with that? I mean, a normal episode. Not, I don't have to sit there and beat my head against the wall as I listen to yet another Code Orange revival, nonsensical, narcissistic twisting of script. I, I, my life feels so meaningless right now. Anyway, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> So let's get to it. Let's dive into the program proper. Here we go. Oh. Tilton, who So, we're uh, heading over to the uh, television studios of Patricia King's uh, <clears throat> Everlasting Love television program. And the name of the episode is Discerning Angels. And we're going to note what's going on here. There's a particular technique that we're trying to highlight on today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. The idea is beware of this technique. Um, I have heard it years ago described by B- Pastor Brian Wolfmuller as the heresy two-step. Now, let me explain how this particular dance move works. So, you, you, y'all ever do any line dancing? Yeah, I, I, I've never done it. Uh, I've seen it done, um, the idea of standing up and trying to move, you know, learn some moves to coordinate with other people while country and western music is playing in the background. It just, it just doesn't fit with the pirate theme, you know. I'm just saying. I'm, you know, I've never seen any cowboy pirates, and I'm off topic. So let's. <laughs> so here's here's the idea behind the heresy two step. Is uh, the first move in the heresy two step is to first read a biblical text. Mm-hmm. You read a biblical text and attempt to read it in context to help. Disguise, if you would, and use it as a smokescreen for what it is that comes next. So, so you lay down the text, and then you say, "Hey, look, this text says this," and while everybody is going, "Well, yeah, that's what the text says," then while they're distracted, you shimmy or sashay. Uh, I'm yeah, those are totally two different moves, but either one of them are perfectly legit in the heresy two step. You can sashay to the right or to the left, and leave the text behind. Okay? You've done your duty. So the idea is now you can do whatever you want, and now you just go freestyle, you know, in, in your your, uh, your dance moves. The metaphor is breaking down, but you get the point. So the idea is, it's not that they didn't read a text. They did. It's not that they didn't highlight what the text says. They did. And and they may not even be twisting the text. Um, so you can't say, no, that text is chock full of Bible-twisting. No, in this particular case, you can sit there and go, all right, I mean, it's a little sloppy, but nothing overtly heretical, right? Once the text is laid down, then you just quickly run away from it because now everybody thinks that what's coming next is biblical, but you're no longer exegeting. You are just making stuff up. Here's Patricia King to kind of give you an example of how this particular technique works.
1: Well, hello there and welcome to Everlasting Love. I'm very excited about today's program because it's about a subject that I adore. It's about God's heavenly help, his angels. And you know, in the world that we're living in, I mean, things are rough out there, aren't they? Every single day there seems to be, you know, tragedy of some kind or terrorist movements or people killing each other and natural disasters. And there's just constantly things on the news that could cause people's heart to tremble. But God wants you to know that you are safe. When you belong to Jesus Christ, he's got angelic help all around you. That's right. There are invisible beings in the invisible realm that are watching out for you.
0: Now, she's correct to a point. It is true that we have angels who are ministering spirits, and Scripture makes it clear that, you know, they are there for purposes similar to what Patricia King has said. However, she overcooked it because you sit there and go, well, I know plenty of Christians who've had terrible things happen to them. They've been They've been, you know, the victims of natural disasters, of automobile accidents. They've been... Uh, the victims of random crimes and random violence. So it's like, what's the point of having an angel if when he's taking a smoking break, you know, I you know, a, a tornado comes by and destroys my house. Yeah. So yeah, she's overcooked it. She says, "Well, we we're totally safe. Um, you can say that we are totally within the hands of God, and He'll see us through everything." But you don't want to make it sound like, you know, the angels are somehow sleeping and didn't do their job when a Christian experiences um, a bad circumstance in their life. We continue.
1: The realm of the supernatural is just, oh, I just love it. I love studying it in the Bible. I love living it. And I want to help you. Uh,
0: Oh, you you love living it. Uh, Yeah, you just love telling tall tales, Patricia.
1: It. I want to help you understand it. I want to help you know that these things are for you. Every promise regarding the supernatural, things that God shows you and reveals to you regarding the supernatural dimensions of the kingdom of heaven, it belongs to you if you are a believer. So let's open our little mentoring time today with 2 Corinthians and we're in chapter 3 and verse, or chapter 4 rather, and verse 8.
0: All right, so she's going to take a look at a couple of passages of Scripture, and she's not going to be engaging in egregious Bible teaching. She's going to play this part reasonably straight.
1: And it says, While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And so we have this invisible realm around.
0: Okay, now it is true. We look to the things that are not seen and there is an, an invisible realm. You think of the kingdom of heaven and things like that. So this particular text out of context and the referent isn't exactly what it is that she's pointing to, but it's what's coming later in this technique that's most important. So what she's trying to do is create the impression that what she wants to talk about is actually biblical.
1: That is the kingdom realm. And in that realm, God has majesties and heavenly beings, angels, that are sent to serve you. If you look at Hebrews chapter 1, And starting in verse 1, let's read 1 to 4. It says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days he has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory.
0: So notice she's taking great pains to get the context right
1: the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. In verse 4, it says, having become as much better than the angels, as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. And then also going to verse 13 and 14, it says, but to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet?
0: Now, note this. The opening chapter of Hebrews is about Christ. It's about Jesus. Angels are mentioned, but they're mentioned in contrast to Christ. But what is she going to key in on? The angelic. Because, well, this is one of those passages that tells us something about the angelic, and the the fact is, is that really in the Bible, there isn't much said. So angelology is one of those portion, you know, one of those theologies or parts of theology where in the Bible, we don't have the greatest amount of um, information. In fact, very little in comparison to many other doctrines
1: are they not all ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? Wow. I love this scripture. It's so powerful because it it reveals many things to us. And before we talk anymore about these angels that God has appointed to you and the angels that he wants you to have experience with, we want to settle in. An whoa, whoa, whoa,
0: whoa. Did you catch that little part? And the angels He wants you to have experience with. Did either of the passages that she quoted say anything whatsoever about God wanting you to have experiences with angels? Answer? Nope. Neither verse said that. So she's already starting to sashay or shimmy to the right or to the left here. She's laid down the text she's not really mangling it and now she's beginning to wander from it and make assertions about things that are not in the text the text said nothing about god wanting us to have experiences with these angels in fact let's take a look at hebrews chapter 1 so we can you know make you know be confident that we understand what's going on in that chapter and like i said and this is one of those texts that is that is really pointing us to Christ. Here's what it says. Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He, the Son, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power." Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds, and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the sun, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness, hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions." Are they not, are the angels not ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? So you notice the emphasis on Hebrews 1 is clearly on Christ. It's not on the angels. The angels are used as a foil to explain just how great and superior to them Christ the Son is, and that's the point. Jesus is God in human flesh, God the Son in human flesh, and that's the point of the text. But you'll notice in reading that out, there's was, there was no, there nothing in there about, well, God wants you to have experiences with angels. Nope, she's engaging in the heresy two-step, and she's already starting, started her sashaying to the right and to the left
1: an issue and that is angels are not to be worshipped only jesus is to be worshipped he is above all else he is
0: yeah this is true we're not supposed to worship angels
1: king of kings and the lord of lords he is the one that we look to for all things It makes it clear here and it says of the angels that they're very real of course they're real you know they are real because god created them he he created them for what purpose to serve you that's why he created the angels. You are an heir of salvation when you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, and when you do, the angels are there to serve you, to help bring you into destiny, and to protect your life.
0: Um, <laughs> uh-huh. so the angels are there to help bring me into to density d- destiny. Yeah, density, right? Uh huh. Yeah, that it didn't say that in. Hebrews either.
1: And in this session, I just want to provoke you and stir up your interest in this.
0: Oh, you, you, you provoke me every time I play anything from you, Patricia. Believe me, I'm already provoked.
1: Um, because every believer can actually discern these angels. Every believer can encounter them. Be- um,
0: every believer can discern them. Every believer can encounter them. Where does it say that in the Bible? It doesn't say that in
1: Hebrews 1. Because it's like once we become a member of the kingdom of God, we can flow in and out with God, in and out of the invisible realm, the visible... So 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 we can
0: flow in and out of the visible and the invisible. Now no text says this either nope no t- so what what is she doing well she laid down the biblical text she didn't overtly or egregiously twist the text and now she's just making stuff up and anybody who is not familiar with the technique who's pretty new to you know discernment at all they they may be tempted to say, well, this woman, she's telling me what the Bible says. No, 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 no. She told you what the Bible said, and now she's making up her own stuff. Uh, that And the whole point of telling you what the Bible said was to create the false impression that what she's saying is what that text means or says, and it doesn't.
1: Because... We're connected all the time, did you know that Jesus was always living in two realms at the same time? He lived in the heavenly dimension and he lived in the earthly dimension
0: Jesus is God in human flesh he's the god man and so um i'm you know, I am not prepared to say what you're saying is correct or incorrect. Suffice it to say that um Jesus is well he is man for sure and he is also God and there's a communication of the attributes of God with his with his human nature but that's really complicated uh, Christology and what she's going to do with this is just because Jesus can do something doesn't mean we can do something just because Jesus did something doesn't mean we can do it
1: well at the same time he Always was connected to his father. And he said, I only do what I see my father do. That's out of John 5 verse 19. And how could he see what his father was doing except he be in heaven? Okay. So he lived in that realm because the father lives in the heavenly realm, but he also lived in the earth all at the same time. And you and I can do the same. We can be. Become- yeah, what
0: text says that I can do the same thing as God in human flesh? Hmm. I'm not familiar with those passages.
1: ...to our Heavenly Father in Heaven, just like Jesus was, and live in the realm and the earth with the invisible all around us, and we being familiar with that and in touch with that. And, you know, I want to share some personal testimonies right now because...
0: <laughs> yeah, and here's where she totally is no longer at all interested in the biblical text, okay? She's read it out. She didn't really twist it. It's designed to create the impression that what's coming from her mouth is totally in accord and right along the lines of totally in step with what it is that she wants to talk about her own personal life stories. Oh, yeah, she's teaching heresy at this point.
1: Testimonies are so powerful. Mm-hmm. When the Lord does something in your life, testify about it. Why? Because the Bible says out of Revelations that when you testify, it is like the spirit of prophecy. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy.
0: Yeah, um, Patricia, that text in Revelation actually means that the testimony of Jesus. Yeah, yeah. About his life, his works, his miracles, his teaching, his death, his resurrection. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Prophecy points us to Christ. You just added to that passage by saying that when we testify, it's like, no, 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 no. no. You're botching that text.
1: So it enables God to do it again in those that hear the testimony.
0: So, no, that's not what Revelation says.
1: I want to stir you up with excitement because... Oh, I'm
0: stirred up. It's not excitement, though.
1: I believe that you are in a season yeah. of increased angelic visitation.
0: No way. I'm in a, I'm in a season of increased angelic visitation?
1: <gasps> so the first story I want to share is my very first... in my very first visitation of an angelic encounter, and it was with an open vision. I was in my living room, and in our home at that time, we had a lower-level living room. And-
0: yeah, the Bible's like
1: way,
0: way in the rearview mirror now. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry, Patricia. I don't believe a word you're saying. Not a word of it. I, you, truly, you didn't overtly mangle God's word there, except on that Revelation text. But aside from that, what you're saying has nothing whatsoever to do with what the book of Hebrews is talking about when it talks about angels. They're not the point. Jesus is. And now by talking about your stories and how, oh, you've had all these angelic encounters and and this is your testimony and all this kind of nonsense that you twisted God's word there. You're now, well, making the emphasis be on you and how amazing and how spiritual you are and all the miracles and open visions and all the angels you've seen. And all of it is just gobbledygook and utter nonsense. So there's an example of the heresy two-step. You put scriptures down, you don't exactly twist them, but then that's all designed to make it look like what comes next is biblical when it isn't all right we're up on our first break if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of fighting for the faith you can do so my email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on facebook facebook.com forward slash christian. follow me on twitter my name there at christian. quick break when we come back we're going to check in with sean bowles as well as terry Savell. boy stay tuned don't want to miss it we'll be right back We don't need to rethink Christianity, we need to rediscover it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate
2: Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. (laughs) No, 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 a pirate's life. I'm the little up, be hard your home. We kidnap and ravage and don't give a hoop, drink up, be hard your home. Yo
3: ho, yo ho, a
2: virus life for me. We exhort me, don't we?
4: Max Holiday's Birdcage Theater presents. Church Day Select.
3: And now, Max Holliday's Birdcage probably proudly presents
4: Sessions
5: with... Mildred.
4: So, uh, do you know why I called you in here today?
5: Am I in trouble?
4: Oh, no, 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 of course not. We're just worried about you.
5: Is this about my tithes? You know, I- I'm so sorry, I forgot the $5. Well, you hate me now, don't you?
4: Oh, no! No, you've been very good about meeting your tithes quota. Besides, if this had been about your tithes, we would have sent someone to your house. I just wanted to discuss your attitude, because some of the elders have started to talk about it.
5: My attitude?
4: Oh, yes, your attitude. You see, we're all about our Congress having audacious faith. But we've noticed that you seem to be having difficulty being audacious during services.
5: Um, are you talking about the Holy Ghost, toki Pokey? Is I not dancing right? You know, I I tried practicing at home, but when I put my whole self in, I fell over and injured Fluffles. Who's Fluffles? Well, uh, he's my cat, and after I fell down, I didn't know if he was breathing. Okay,
4: we, we send you straight from the top. Look, you don't have to. ...to dance during the services. But you could at least start singing. I mean, what's the point of having jumbo screens with sing-along lyrics... ...if people aren't being audacious and
5: using them? When I was younger, I had this bird. And I decided to take it outside with me and start singing to it. And a hawk dove down and snatched Muffin from my finger.
4: Oh, dear. Uh, I'm so sorry about Muffin. But let's get back to the present point. If you don't want to sing or dance during the service... Then I guess we'll let you have make that choice. But if nothing else, won't you please be more agitated and just do the hand motions?
5: Well, last year, I had my gerbil outside and his hamster ball and... Uh, the interview
4: is not going as expected. Well,
5: I was practicing hand motions and my bracelet caught a glare in a driver's eye. And the car swerved and it hit Mr. Cuddles. He flew into the mouth of an octopus living in the sewer... Apparently, he didn't taste very good, so he spit him back up into the street where my neighbor ran him over with his lawnmower, which broke the hamster ball, but not Mr. Cuddles. So then Mr. Cuddles escaped, and then a dog thought Mr. Cuddles was a chew toy, so he chewed on him. But Mr. Cuddles didn't like that, so he survived, and I got him back.
4: Well, that's finally something positive. I bet you anything that Mr. Cuddles would love for you to be more audacious in church.
5: Well, but he died a week later from rabies that he got from the octopus. Uh,
4: well, I think we'll have to schedule a second meeting for you sometime in the next... Never. I mean months.
0: morning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that when people talk about things in their personal lives, that that does not rise to the level of Christian doctrine or theology. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, financial contributions, in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you to the world. And you can partner with us by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons – One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute, well, an amount that you pick. We have four ranks in our crew. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. Gunner's Mate, $24.95 a month. Master Gunner, $49.95 a month. And Quartermaster at $99.95 a month. This is a great way to support us, by the way. It helps us have a sure and solid foundation financially so we can pay our bills, budget, and plan our expansion and taking over of the world, you know, things like that. And, uh, of course, uh, one of the things we do is everybody who joins our crew, we send a thank you gift as our way of saying thank you for supporting us. Um, Powder Monkeys will get a PirateChristian.com bumper sticker and our Cairo Pirate Flag sticker. And then anybody who joins at Gunner's Mate or above, we will send you a copy of our new card game, Reformanda, which is a teaching tool. It's a tool to help teach sound doctrine. It's also a lot of fun, by the way. Uh, sound doctrine, and how to use the scriptures to refute many of the false teachings that we're hearing in today's church. Of course, if you would like to just purchase a copy of Reformation, head over to fightingforthefaith.com, click on bake sale, and you can buy a bumper sticker, you can buy a Cairo flag, you can buy t-shirts, you can buy... Uh, a copy of Reformanda for yourself and for your family. And, of course, let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. And, of course, if you would like to uh, contribute the old-fashioned way, you can make your gift payable too, fighting for the faith, and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We can't do what we're doing here without it. Moving along, we're under a Prophetic Holy Orders uh, Network Information Exchange Syndicate Twin Spin. So let's uh, play a little bit of music here.
4: Down at an English fair, one evening I was there, when I heard a showman
0: shouting underneath a flare. I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts, there they are standing in a row. Big one, small one, some as big as your head Give them a twist, a flick of the wrist, that's
2: what the showman said
0: I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts
2: Every ball you throw will make me rich There stands me wife, the idol of me life Sing and roll a bowl a, a, a ball, a penny a pitch Sing and roll a bowl a ball, a penny a pitch Sing and roll a bowl ball, a penny a pitch Roller a bowl a ball roller a bowl of ball sing roll-a-bowl-a-ball, a penny a pinch.
0: Yeah, that's right. Got a lovely bunch of coconuts. So, um, Sean Bull's now is on television, and uh, uh, Dreams and Mysteries, I guess, is the name of the uh, program that he's now hosting. I, I forget the name of the guy who hosted it before him. He's dead now. But uh, here is a trailer for the upcoming Season 4 of Dreams and Mysteries where Sean Bowles is talking about um, the mystery of translating God. See if you can note where this theology is coming from. Is this theology coming from God's Word, rightly exegeted? Or is this coming from, well, Sean Bowles' experiences? Here we go. God only speak to
6: believers, or does he speak to unbelievers as well? Isaiah 6, verse 3 says, everything is covered by his glory. So what does that really mean? Does God speak in reoccurring experiences?
0: So God's word says the whole earth is full of his glory. Um, What does that have to do with God speaking via direct revelation? So let me back it up, and you can kind of see what's going on here we'll get a reference to a biblical text he's asking a question but the text he's referencing actually doesn't have anything to do with the question he's asking where in scripture does it say that god reveals himself you know via direct revelation to unbelievers listen again
6: does god only speak to believers or does he speak to unbelievers as well Isaiah 6 verse 3 says everything is covered by his glory. So what does that really mean? Does God speak in reoccurring experiences? And if your friends or coworkers were sharing something with you, have you ever had an experience where you thought, wow, this sounds like God, like what they're explaining to me right now?
0: The experience sounds like God. Uh Uh-huh. Sounds like my God talking to them.
6: What would happen if you could translate that to them in that moment? What would happen if they could borrow your faith? I've had this kind of...
0: (laughs) What would happen if they can borrow your faith? Is faith, you know, like, you know, the $20 bill sitting in my wallet? Actually, I... (laughs) Yeah, now that I think about it, I spent part of that. Okay, so is it like the $13 in (laughs) in my wallet that I can just give it to somebody that they can borrow it for a little bit?
6: As a matter of fact, room service came to my hotel room one night, and I looked at this young man, and I could just feel he was going through something. I said, do you have a minute to talk? He said, yeah, this is my last time. And I said, what are you going through? I said, I just went through the worst breakup of of my life. And I said, you know, uh, I'm a Christian. I know this sounds really strange, but I said, let's sit down and let's ask God, is this the person I'm supposed to be with for the rest of my life? And so we sat down together, and she had broken up with him. And so he he goes, how does this work? And I said, just ask God. Just just borrow my faith. So he closes eyes.
0: Just borrow my faith. What? Can people borrow Christ, other Christian? Where in Scripture does it say people can borrow our faith? And
6: I said, repeat after me. Is this the person, God, you've made for me to be the happiest with? And he said it after me. And he goes, oh. and I said, what? And he goes, I know she's not. She's like a filler. She's a space filler. I don't know why I'm so attached to her. And I said, well, what does that mean for you? You just heard God. And this is...
0: No, that didn't sound like God to me. Yeah, no, it sounds like you got your lines crossed.
6: Unsaved guy who didn't get saved until after he heard God. What would happen if we could lead the world in an experience with Jesus Christ where they...
0: Lead the world in an experience? What are you talking about? What would happen? What would happen if... Sean, let me ask you. What would happen if you put all of these experiences aside and actually taught what God's word says? Hear his voice and know what the Father's thinking.
6: This today is the mystery of translating God's voice for the world around you.
0: No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> the mystery of translating God's voice. A mystery created by Sean Bowles, not by Scripture. So you, you kind of see how this works. I mean, scripture is referenced. It's in this case, it was totally off topic. And um, and then you just ignore it. Yeah, and you go right into um you know personal experiences and things like that, and you just make all kinds of assertions. I mean does Isaiah teach that that we can give give our faith, uh, bar, you know, give our faith to other people? They can borrow it for a little bit. Uh, yeah, no, no biblical text says that. So again, heresy two step. Yeah, I think you're starting to see how this takes place. Let's uh, let's tune in with uh, Terry Savelle Foy from her new television program uh, in order to see this this technique used even more. But in her case. <laughs> Every time she quotes a biblical text, she's going to mangle it. I mean, badly. But it, the whole purpose is to show you that you know this is supposedly a biblical teaching, and then she's going to spend a lot of time on her experiences. But let's do this since we're doing a Terry Savelle Foy update.
2: Hi, Bobby. Hi,
7: Ken.
2: You want to go for a
7: ride? Sure, Ken. Jump in. I'm a Bobby girl in the Bobby world. Fantastic, you can brush my hair, undress me everywhere Imagination, life is your creation
2: Barbie, let's go party
0: That's right. I'm a Barbie girl, so we're heading over to the television studios of <laughs> Terry Savell Foy, and uh, she's got her own new television program. And the the name of this particular episode is "Using the Gift of Your Imagination." The gift of your imagination. Now, I have no idea what exactly that's all about, but uh, here's Terry Savell Foy from her new television program called "Live Your Dreams." Here we go.
7: Hi, I'm Terry Savelle Foy, and you're watching Live Your Dreams. I pray that as you invest in yourself today, you are captivated and catapulted to live your dreams. You know, I heard someone say, the saddest day in heaven would be when God gives you a glimpse of all that you could have had, all that you could have done, and all that you could have been, but for some reason, you gave up on your dreams. In fact, Miles Monroe said, the richest place in the world. It's not the diamond mines of South Africa or the oil fields of the Middle East. He said, no, it's the graveyards. It's the cemeteries. He said, in the grave, there's books that were never written, songs that were never sung, businesses that were never started, churches that were never planted or pastored. Don't go to the grave with your dreams still in you.
0: Um. Yeah, you said Miles Monroe said that, right? Yeah, he—he's not Jesus, one of the prophets, or even an apostle. Um, so don't go to the grave with dreams still in you. Um, am am I sinning if I go to the grave with a dream still in me? Because when I was in high school, yeah, I wanted to be a fighter pilot in the navy. Yeah, yeah, and that dream has died now. I mean, I'll never get to fly an F eighteen in combat. You know, I'll never be attached to a aircraft carrier group or anything like that. I mean, I'm going to go to my grave with that dream dead inside of me. Do you think God is going to judge me and send me to hell because of that?
7: In fact, you know, a lot of times we look at our lives and we think, I've made a lot of mistakes, I've missed opportunities, or we look at our age and think I'm too old to go for my dreams. I always say, stop looking at the years you've lost. Let's look at the years you've got left.
0: And yeah, I'm almost 50. I don't think they're going to take me in the Navy to be a fighter pilot.
7: Start living your dreams. And you know, I honestly believe that God is accelerating things. Things that should take five years, God can do it in one year.
0: Uh, so you believe God's accelerating things. Why do you think that?
7: Do you know, Amos 9.13 even says... Things will happen so fast, your head will swim.
0: Thank- yeah, no, actually, Amos 9.13 doesn't say that. You're thinking, what? well, let's take a look. I want to show you. if you have your Bible, turn on over to Amos chapter 9. Let me read it to you from a good translation. Amos 9.13. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper, the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed. The mountains shall drip sweet wine, and all the hills shall flow with it. Yeah, that's all of Amos 9.13. Didn't say anything at all in Amos 9.13 about things happening so fast that your head swims. Yeah, where is she getting this from? The message paraphrase. So she's not even quoting an actual biblical text. The Bible doesn't actually say this. And when you read it in the message, this is not actually saying anything about this doctrine of acceleration that terry savell foy uh, claims that she's pointing to yeah the bible doesn't teach this
1: about that
7: well i'll tell you why i'm so passionate about teaching people to live their dreams you know i had a very real experience years ago this was
0: she had an experience uh huh she's not teaching what the bible teaches she had an exper I have all kinds of experiences every day, every week, every month, every year. Mm-hmm. None of them actually form the basis of biblical teaching or what I'm supposed to teach as a pastor.
7: July 9, 2003. It's so memorable. I know the date. I was coming out of such a hard time in my life. My marriage was on the verge of completely falling apart. I was falling apart. I had no dreams, no goals for my life. And I was still filled with just a lot of shame, a lot of guilt, a lot of um, regrets of the past. And I'm just coming out of that hard time. I'm drawing closer to God. I'm getting stronger. But I'm still having a hard time forgiving myself. Well, on July 9, 2003, my dad, Jerry Savelle, was getting ready to promote me as the CEO for Jerry Savelle Ministries. Well, it's 5 o'clock in the morning. Yeah,
0: her father is one of the most well-known arch heretics and and teachers of the word of faith heresy, good friends with Kenneth Copeland.
7: I'm out walking up and down my street. I'm crying out to God saying, Lord, you know the mistakes I've made. You know I don't deserve this position.
0: They're called sins.
7: What do I do? Well, all of a sudden I had this vision, and I've never had one since then. Or
0: Okay, so she had a vision. Patricia King had a vision. She had an open vision of a... Of an angel, so she 's well, this has got to be what God wants us to believe. I mean, Terry Savelle Foy had a vision it was a personal experience, and she remembers the exact day the and the, where she was when it happened. so this has got to be sound doctrine, right? Wrong
7: before then, but I had this vision where I was just standing at the foot of the cross. And when I looked up, I saw the feet of Jesus. And when I saw his feet, the blood from his feet dropped and landed on the top of my head. And I clearly heard the Lord say, I'm washing the memories away. Then I saw... The-
0: um. What? So, Jesus' blood isn't washing your sins away. Jesus' blood is washing the memory of your sin away? This is a different gospel altogether. What's the authority for it? Oh, a personal experience. Not a biblical text, and already we got some big problems here.
7: Blood go down my heart, and I heard the Lord say, I'm the healer of the brokenhearted. I watched that blood go down to my feet, and I heard the Lord say, The residue of sin is gone from you. Now think about that. You could sing about the blood of Jesus your whole life, but I knew the Lord knew I had to see it for myself, that God can truly give you
0: a... So you had to see it for yourself, otherwise you wouldn't believe it. Huh. Scripture says that for Christians, we walk by faith and not by sight right now
7: supernatural amnesia of the past where you stop reliving it, rehearsing it, reminding yourself of it. God wants to get you free from the past. In fact, your past isn't keeping you from God's best. It's your remembrance of your past.
0: Says no biblical text anywhere.
7: Well, that's not all that happened. All of a sudden, I saw this big hand just reach down from heaven and the Lord handed me a clipboard. <laughs>
0: uh-huh. So a hand reached down from heaven and gave you a clipboard. I mean, this has got to be sound doctrine, right? I mean, the daughter of Jerry Savell, God gave her a clipboard. Come on, Chris. This has got to be what God wants us to believe, right? Wrong. If God wanted us to believe this, he would have put it in the written word of God.
7: A cute one. <laughs> and he said to me, this is an assignment on your life. He said, I have an assignment on your life. Then he handed me some keys, you know, like the old-fashioned keys. And he said, these are the keys to the kingdom of heaven to help you fulfill your assignment. He went on to say, everything you need to fulfill your assignment can be found with these keys. Well, my whole outlook on life completely changed since that day.
0: Did you study those keys very carefully? Where are those keys today?
7: I see every person as having a clipboard with your name on it. And there's something God's expecting you to do during your time here on earth. And then
0: mm, okay, so you believe because of this experience that every one of us also has a clipboard. Mm-hmm. Because you have an assignment given to you, right? And it's not And You're not pointing me to a biblical text. You're pointing me to your claims that you saw the feet of Jesus and that you saw a hand come from heaven and give you a clipboard and, (laughs) right, Uh uh-huh, and then a hand gave you keys, too, Uh uh-huh.
7: Over. You know, my favorite scripture now is John 17, 4 from the Message Bible. It says this, I glorified you on earth by completing down to the last detail what you assigned me to
1: do.
0: Okay, so second uh, passage of scripture quoted from the Message paraphrase. The Message says, I I glorified you on earth by completing down to the last detail what you assigned me to do. Now, does that mean that therefore you have a clipboard, you have an assignment, all that kind of stuff? Who's talking in John chapter 17, verse 4? Well, Jesus is. Here's what it says, starting at John chapter 17, verse 1. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. This is Jesus' high priestly prayer on the evening before he's crucified. He is literally less than 24 hours now away from being nailed to a cross. Probably closer to 12 hours away from being nailed to a cross. What is it that he was sent to accomplish? Our salvation. To fulfill all righteousness. To bleed and die for our sins. Uh Uh-huh. So, Terry Savelle Foy, because God gave her a clipboard, she says. And, you know, and gave her some keys. You know, old-fashioned keys. You know, so that she can complete her assignment. And now she's quoted... John 17, 4, from the message, paraphrase, out of context. Huh. So she's not getting this theology from the scriptures. She's going into the scriptures in order to hunt for texts that she can rip out of context to fit the theology that's coming from her experiences. This is a form of the heresy two-step
7: about that god has an assignment on your life there's something you're supposed to fulfill well i want to talk to you about the keys to living your dreams first of all you'll never leave where you are until you see where you'd rather be where
0: Uh, okay what biblical text says
7: that in your imagination do you know that your imagination is a gift from god he gave you this gift but the thing is you know it's easy to use your imagination when you're little in fact, when I was little, you know, I could just imagine myself being Farrah Fawcett on Charlie's Angels. <laughs> I could see it. My sister and I would fight over who got to be Farrah. Then I could imagine myself being Ginger on Gilligan's Island, you know, with the big hair and tons of makeup and kind of turned into Ginger. But <laughs> I could imagine those things. Well, it's easy to imagine it when you're little. But as you grow up, you stop using that gift of the imagination and you just kind of settle for this is life. This is the best it can be. God is saying, imagine your future. Imagine moving. Notice
0: what she just said. God is saying, imagine your future. No biblical text says this. There is not a single biblical passage where God says to us, I want you to imagine your future. Use your God-given imagination so that you can get to where you want to be, so that you can fulfill your dreams no text says
7: this On where you are today you know pastor happy Caldwell from little rock arkansas he said years ago he's standing on the beach in honolulu hawaii and he said he just happened to see this massive mansion on top of the hill and he just had this thought he said i can't imagine living in a house that big he said instantly he heard the lord say don't worry about it you never will
0: Again, another direct revelation from some pastor I've never heard of. So, okay, so, all right. So this has got to be from God, right? Notice the theology is not being driven from any biblical text. Every bit of theology is being driven by personal experiences.
7: Well, why not? And the Lord said, if you can't imagine it, you'll never have it. And that's the truth.
0: No, it's not. If that's the truth, then I'd be able to open up a biblical passage, find it in context, and say, well, there's where God said, if you can't imagine it, you can't have it. No biblical text says that.
7: Before you can do something, you have to see yourself doing it. Before you can have something, you got to see yourself having it. Before
0: you, No biblical text says that either. Again, all of her theology and doctrine from personal experiences.
7: Be something. You have to see yourself being it. Where? in your imagination. You ought to see it in here before it shows up out here. In fact, Napoleon Hill said, if you do not see great riches in your imagination, you'll never see them in your bank balance.
0: Uh, N- N- Napoleon Hill, the author of Think and Grow Rich? Uh-huh, right. He wasn't one of Jesus' disciples or apostles or prophets either.
7: Well, Proverbs twenty nine eighteen says, where there is no vision the people perish.
0: Um yeah, oh, boy, that, that is probably one of the most abused passages of all the scriptures. Proverbs 29:18. Proverbs 29:18 is not saying that you need to use your imagination so that you can have a vision of the future, you know, where you can picture yourself in it so that then it'll happen. Yeah, uh, yeah, Proverbs 29:18 Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint, comma, that's right, this is only half the sentence, but blessed is he who keeps the Torah. Yeah, the written word of God. The prophetic vision that is needed to keep the people from casting off restraint has nothing to do with your imagination. It's the written word of God.
7: What perish means? mean? It simply means die. If you don't have a vision for your life, that's what's happening. You're dying on the inside. Well, you know, one time I was preaching at a church in London, England.
0: Another personal experience. And it was that... You shouldn't have been preaching anywhere, Terry. You're a woman. God's Word forbids you from doing that.
7: The people. Well, before I went out to minister, I was in the the pastor's lounge with a bunch of pastors and... I just said to the pastor, I said, tell me your story. I mean, I know you're from Nigeria, Africa. How did you end up in London, England? He said, well, you know, I grew up in poverty. He said, I had a stuttering problem. My parents considered me the dumb child. He said, I was so poor, I ended up living in my car, begging people for food. He said, but I got a hold of the word of God. And he said, as I'm living in that car, I just began to dream. He said, I dreamed of getting out of Africa.
0: Okay, so some guy dreamed a dream. and It has to be. See, this is an example of this theology in action. But this theology is nowhere taught in Scripture. Every passage of Scripture was carefully ripped from context to make it look like it is teaching this theology that she's spewing. But what she's spewing is a theology that comes from the heart of man not from the Word of God.
7: To London, England, He said, I just imagine myself pastoring thousands of people. He said, I saw myself married and with children. He said, for some reason, I even saw the color green. <laughs> well, now you go to his church in London. He had 7,000 people in only four years of pastoring. He has 300 to 400 first-time visitors every Sunday, he just bought a TV network and paid cash for it. He didn't just buy airtime. He bought the whole network. Well, oh, he's married. He's got kids. Um, his ushers, their ties are green. <laughs> the carpet's green. His shoes are green. I said to him, I said, you're amazing. He said, no, no, I simply believe. Well, he simply believed that what he saw on the inside was more real than what he saw on the outside. And when you get to that place in your life, it's just a matter of time. God's going to bring you ideas, opportunities, resources, and relationships to achieve your dreams.
0: Uh Uh-huh. So this is an example of the dream destiny thingy doctrine. And yet, she didn't rightly handle a single biblical text in making her assertions that this is what God wants to do in your life. This is what God wants to do in my life. Then why doesn't the written word of God say this? You see how the heresy two step works? Yeah. All right. We're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My mail address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Pyre Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at Pyre Christian. Quick break when we come back. Heading down to church by the glades and a sermon based on the movie Frozen. Yeah, stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. High Ridge Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some. <laughs>
4: listening to Byron Christian Radio.
1: This is Dr. Curtis Lyons.
0: I am the presiding pastor of the American Association of Lutheran Churches. If you are seeking a church that believes that the Holy Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God and accepts the Lutheran confessions because they are the right interpretation of Holy Scripture, I hope that you will take a look at the AALC. Also, if you are considering a vocation as a Lutheran pastor, our seminary has a residency program and a program available online. This is Curtis Lyons inviting you to take a look at the AALC. Check us out at taalc.org or on Facebook at the American Association of Lutheran Churches.
2: Oi, Captain! We got ourselves a heretic! (laughs) And exactly how do ye know that she be a heretic? She be endorsing the health and wealth heresy! Does he be speaking the truth? Jesus died to make us rich! (laughs) And what exactly do we do with heretics?
4: Oh, we throw them in the boo box!
2: Get yourself over to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash Reformanda and purchase yourself a copy of the game Refermanda and join the fight for the faith today.
0: number two of fighting for the faith. First normal episode in the truest sense since the beginning of the Code Orange Revival. Oh, am I happy, 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 happy to be done with all of that. Let's do this right though. Hey, ho. Oh. The good, the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an Equal Opportunity Sermon Reviewing Service. Today's sermon comes to us via Church by the Glades. Uh, The sermon series is Family Drive-In. Yeah, it's a drive-in movie theme. And all the little princesses there at Church by the Glades came dressed as Elsa. (coughs) Yeah, it's sermon... Supposedly based on Frozen. And here's the best way I can put it. Is that not only is David Hughes going to do the heresy two step. Yeah, he's going there's an ironic passage that he will be using, and he's going to avoid the first half of that passage, lest he be found out for what he is. And the other thing is, he's going to kind of just use Frozen as The bait and then switch to try to say, Oh, we're going to talk about the Bible. And you're going to hear David Hughes say a lot of things that are his opinions being taught as if they're actual biblical doctrine. That's the best way I can put it. So make yourself comfortable since this is a movie sermon. Um, Grab some popcorn, Fuzzy Bunny slippers. And we're going to get right to it. So without any further ado, here's David Hughes and his sermon, Frozen. Here we go. So what is up, Church
3: by the Glaze? And happy Sunday. Glad you're here. If you are a guest, my name is David. I'm one of the pastors here at CBG, and we're doing a series called Family Drive-In. We're using movies to uh, segue to the scripture. I, oh, I don't have my Bible. Don't my Bible. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Production. Production. Olaf on the production team. Thank you so much. Olaf, give it up, fist bump, bam.
0: All right, thank you. Yeah, we're using... Oh, yeah, he forgot his Bible. Don't worry, Olaf from Frozen had it. Yeah, oh, wow, that's amazing. Olaf from Frozen at church. Oh, it's so entertaining. Movies to help kind of,
3: you know, get your attention, spike your interest, to teach you the Word of God. So take your
0: Bibles and turn to 2 Timothy. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Second 2- Yeah, t- 2 Timothy chapter 4. I find it fascinating that he's not going to begin at verse 1 and I think there's a reason for that because if he started at verse 1 People might notice something about Church by the Glades, but we'll get to that in a minute.
3: Timothy chapter 4. Hey, we're one church in many locations. If you're watching on TV, watching online, let's say that text together loudly. Ready? Second Timothy chapter. Come on, guys. Second Timothy chapter. And in the cars, in the hot rod down front, the GTOs. Yeah, that's right. They have a hot rod. Front. T-Bird Convertible, family driving, having a great time with this. And the movie today is Disney's Frozen. Put your hands together if you've seen Frozen. You've seen Frozen? Yeah, really popular with audiences and critics. Uh, but I love the spin that in this unique story, Anna assumed that true love's truest form was a true kiss. And I guess that makes sense because that's kind of a classic motif in a great many classic fairy tales. That true love expresses itself as a kiss. So if she could just get Hans to kiss her, she'd be cool. Now, ladies, here's a sidebar. Here's a little side teaching on this: Don't fall head over heels with a dude you've known in 15 minutes. Might be like Hans, want to murder his sister, steal the throne, right? He's a bad guy, a bad guy. But what we learn in this story, though, true love's form in this narrative is not a kiss. It's a sacrifice when she is willing to stand between hans's blade and her sister
0: elsa when she's willing to fight for her sister that is true love and right i mean that would be a great segue to the gospel true love sacrifice let's see if he actually gets to that before the end of the sermon he might you never know
3: by saving her sister she saves herself so here's where i'm thinking sometimes true love is a kiss Other times, the truest love is a willingness to fight, is to contend, is to be strong, is to be tough. I I don't mean violent, pugnacious, aggressive, but to have a tough faith. Sometimes it's the truest expression of our love for our God. So I think as a Christian, you should be both
0: a lover and a fighter. Notice what he said. I think you should be both a lover and a fighter. So the theology's origin, the doctrine's origin, is David Hughes's opinions. Mm-hmm. And now he's going to proof text it from 2 Timothy chapter 4. Now let's take a look at 2 Timothy chapter 4 and the part that he ain't going to be teaching on. Because <laughs> uh, that would be, how do they say it nowadays? Awkward! Yeah. In fact, we're going to start at 2 Timothy chapter 3 for our context. 2 Timothy chapter 3, we'll start at verse 10. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life. This is Paul writing to young Pastor Timothy. My faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Mm -hmm. While evil people and impostors, they will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Every good work. There isn't a single good work that Christ is going to call you to that His written Word will not prepare you for. In other words, the whole dream destiny thingy doctrine... It ain't true, because if this is what God wanted, you know, his word would have prepared us for the dream destiny doctrine by actually teaching it, rather than being it, having it be a doctrine based upon people's opinions and experiences. But we continue. 2 Timothy chapter 4 now, starting at verse 1. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season. reprove. See, he's skipping that kind of important part, don't you think? Yeah, about preaching the word in season, out of season. For a time will come when people will not endure sound doctrine, but will gather for themselves teachers to suit their own passions who will scratch their itching ears. That's what David Hughes is. He's an ear-scratching person who tells people what they want to hear. His church is not about preaching the word in season and out of season His church is literally all about, well, telling people what they want to hear and entertaining them. We continue. A lover and a fighter. Hey, all campuses, turn
3: to your neighbor and and say, are you a lover and a fighter? Ask that question. Are you a lover and a fighter? I'm loving some of the princesses I see in the room right now. Some of our little girls dressed as their favorite Disney princess. But you got to be a lover and a fighter. Now let me say this: I, I I'm pro kiss. I think kissing's cool. I love what the Bible says in the Bible about love. Uh, I I love it. Talks about love that as a as a Christian man I should love my neighbor. I should even love my enemy. I, as a husband, I should love my wife. As Christ loved the church, right? I love everything the Bible says about love. I love to teach on love. But but again, I'm not I'm not anti kiss. I'm pro kiss. In fact, just here's a thought, you know, Church by the Glades, if you look around, is a very multicultural church. You notice that some of the cultures are more kissy than others? Who's from a kissy culture? Who's from a kissy culture? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. On that whole like cultural uh, affection continuum, I'm a, I'm a middle-aged American white guy. That puts me way over here on the uptight side of all that because, you know, some cultures when they meet someone, man, you're expressive, you're huggy, you're kissy. Uh, listen, listen, I'm pretty secure I, I can deal with physical touch as I meet someone new I, I'm good with the old school like fist bump, you know High five. Oh, 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 I love a man shake A good like look me in the eye, brother Shake my hand, don't give me like a little wet fish I mean, that's awesome uh, I, I, I can hug a brother, I can hug a brother, that's fine I can hug a as long as you're not a clingy brother You with me? The acceptable man hug is like, you know, one, two, three pats, then a clean break. Very important. Don't be a clingy brother. Uh, now, kissing, kissing, some cultures kiss. I kind of reserve kissing for my truest loves, for my family. My, I love to kiss my son. Olaf is my, my youngest son. I'll give him a kiss. My mama's in the room. Hey, mom, how you doing? Mom's 85 years young. I still proudly kiss my mama. Um... Uh, my, my big kids mainly
0: hugs at this point. They're teenagers. They're teenagers. So David Hughes, I mean, he's, uh, you know, middle-aged Sagittarius. Who's into kissing? You, who knew? Yeah. Uh, uh, oh, Lisa. I kiss that woman anytime I can.
3: I love kissing my wife. Married men, don't you love kissing that wife? Don't you love? Come on. Come. Okay, that's pretty bad if you're watching. Don't you love kissing that woman? Come on. Oh, yeah. Every th- Do you remember the the first time you kissed her? First time, maybe you figured out she was going to be your true love. First time, remember that first time you kissed? Remember that amazing, that maybe it was on your first date, maybe you're like me, slow, it was your fifth date, I don't know what it was, first, first kiss. I remember the first time I kissed Lisa, we were we were on the west coast of Florida, we were at Sarasota at my brother's house, but my brother wasn't in the room. And that first kiss, I remember that Lisa chased me down, she grabbed me, she planted this big, no, that didn't happen that way. Uh, I kissed her, and every kiss has been amazing. So I'm pro kiss, but a good Christian, a biblically aligned believer, should be a lover and a fighter.
0: Back in the biblical age. Okay, so you, you, you got to be a lover and a fighter. Yeah, I'm not familiar with this particular doctrine. I've never seen it in a doctrine text or Christian dogmatics. You know, any even a systematic theology. The important doctrine of being a lover and a fighter. Yeah. A
3: kiss was a common greeting. What Judas did to Jesus was not sexual weird, it was a betrayal. But people would greet each other that way. But we talk a lot about the kissy component of the faith, the, the loving, the soft, the gentle. I think to be a fighter for the faith does not receive enough press. You should be a lover and a fighter. Come on, you should be a lover and a... Lover and a fighter. I'm going to take you to the best passage on fighting in all the New Testament. It is Second Timothy chapter four. Let's jump right in. Let's read this. It is so rich. Technicians, I might skip a little bit for the sake of time here. But verse five, it says, "But you
0: keep your head in all situations. Endure." Hard. Notice where did he start it? Second Timothy chapter four. Yeah, he skipped verses 1 through 4, which would have shown him to be what he is. Somebody who scratches itching ears, doesn't teach what's in accord with sound doctrine, tells people what they want to hear. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, so he skipped 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. Yeah, let's skip over that part. We'll start at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5. Uh-huh. Hardship, do the work. Anything worthy in life. I know God
3: blesses, I know God favors, He's the God of miracles, but God blesses your hard work. So Paul is writing to Timothy, his uh who's Timothy? He's his understudy, his apprentice in ministry, he's a young pastor. Paul's a very seasoned minister, and he loves Timothy like a son. So you do the work of an evangelist, you leverage influence to bring people to Jesus, discharge discharge all the duties of your ministry. Verse 6, this is awesome. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering. And the time has come for my departure. Oh, where's Paul going? On vacation? Is he going to Europe? What's he doing? Well, what's happened here? Scholars believe Paul's in prison. He's been in prison many times before. He's likely been beaten. Sadly, he's been beaten many times before. Well, we believe he's in prison in Rome. He's actually been in a Roman prison before, several years before. But that time, it was a house arrest. He had a great decree of of freedom. He could receive guests. He had good food. But this time, he's in a Roman dungeon. His food is maybe moldy bread. His water, no doubt, is contaminated. He has dysentery. There's no sewage system. His conditions are deplorable. And more than that, they pronounced a death sentence over him. The, the reigning emperor is Nero. Nero has developed an appetite for assassinating believers. And so Paul recognizes this time he's not going to likely get out alive. So look what he says. Verse 7. This is awesome. I've highlighted just one word in this whole passage so, so when we get there, read it loudly. He says, I have fought the good What's that word? One, two, three. Now Paul, who was a lover... He loved his friend Timothy. He loved his friend Silas. He loved Barnabas. He loved his churches he planted. He loved his congregations. He surely loved his Lord. He loved the gospel. But he's saying, I'm a lover and a fighter.
0: No, that's not exactly what he's saying. If you want to understand uh, the concept of contending, fighting for the faith, Uh, The best biblical text that I can point you to is found in the epistle of Jude. Starting in verse 3, Beloved, although I was eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend or fight for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality, deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Now I remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt afterward destroyed those who did not believe, and the angels who did not stay with her in their own position of authority but left their proper dwelling. He has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desires, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet in like manner, these people, also relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people, they blaspheme all that they do not understand. They are destroyed by all that they like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them, for they walk in the way of Cain. They abandon themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's heir and perished in Korah's rebellion. Rebellion, these are hidden reefs at your love feasts as they feast with you without fear, shepherds who feed only themselves. They are waterless rain clouds swept along by the winds, fruitless trees late in autumn, twice dead, uprooted. Wild waves of the sea casting up their foam of their own shame. Wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. It was also about these that Enoch the seventh from Adam prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousand of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such ungodly ways and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him these are grumblers malcontents following their own sinful desires they are loud-mouthed boasters showing favoritism to gain an advantage you must remember beloved the predictions of the apostles of our lord jesus they said to you in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions it is these who cause divisions they are worldly people devoid devoid of the spirit But you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. You want to contend for the faith? You want to be a fighter, not just a lover? Well, that requires you to preach the Word, teach what's in accord with sound doctrine, and rebuke those who contradict it. Yeah, that's what the Apostle Paul talked about in uh, in Titus chapter 1, where he says to, uh, to uh, Pastor Titus, He says, um, a pastor must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine. Rebuke those who contradict it. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. Mm -hmm. Yeah, God wants them silenced. So you want to contend for the faith? You want to be a fighter? Not just a lover. You want to be a lover and a fighter? Uh-huh. Fighting and contending for the faith and being a sol- soldier of Christ requires you to teach the word of God, what's in accord with sound doctrine, not scratch itching ears, and <laughs> and rebuking those who teach false doctrine. Yeah, so um if David Hughes were really interested in giving a good biblical teaching here and explaining what... Is what it means to fight for the faith or fight the good fight of faith, he'd lose a lot of people there. And I think that's the reason why he started at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5, skipping right over, just avoiding like the plague, verses 1 through 4, which would have shown everybody what he truly is. We continue. I have fought the good fight. I have finished
3: the race. This is brilliant. I have, I have. Kept my faith. So, verse 8 so now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all ha- who have longed for his appearing. I'm going to stop right there, but you read the rest.
0: Especially verse nine to about verse eighteen. Now, you- yeah, he's he has no time to actually read those during church. <laughs> you, you you go ahead and you read that stuff at home. I, you know, I'm too busy here. I've got we we got frozen to deal with. So you go ahead and read that stuff at home. As you read it; it's going to just seem like a long list of weird names. Like
3: people like Alexander and Tychicus and strange places like Ephesus and Troas. But read it. It's very personal. It's very powerful. Paul's this old man in in, in prison says, oh, somebody please bring me my cloak. I left my cloak uh, with Carpus, this guy named Carpus, and Troas. You're like, I don't care about his coat. Read it. Because I think every word in the
0: Bible God put there on purpose. I'm old school. I be- yeah, why'd you skip verses 1 through 4 then in and- 2 Timothy 4. Why'd you skip those if if God, you know, had all of those put there on purpose? Believe in the trustworthiness or the inerrancy
3: of God's words. If it's in the book, it's there for a reason. And it's right. Why'd you skip verses
0: 1 through 4 again?
3: There for our good. And the church should be saying loudly together right now. Amen. Because this book right here, it's a good story, but it ain't no fairy tale. This is God's infallible words. So you read it, okay? Put your hands together if you read your homework. All of one chapter, chapter 4, 2 Timothy, is the last recorded words written by the most amazing Christian ever. Paul, it's his farewell to the people of faith. Read it, it's so good. It's all these names, all these names. But here's the big takeaway. Based on what he says in verse 7, you better figure out how to fight. If you're here and you're that loving Christian, that is awesome. If you're, if you're a kissy Christian, that's cool. That's part of our faith. That's a component. But if you're not a fighter, you need to get tough. You need to get tenacious. You need to be resolved. You need to develop... Yeah, resolved to do what? Tough to do what? Some spiritual sinew. You need to not think of this church as just a church. This is your gym, and it's time for you to train. You better figure out how... To fight because your enemy, the devil, is a beast and a brute and a bully, and he knows how to fight. Scripture says the devil is like a roaring lion, sinking who he may devour.
0: He will eat you alive, man. He will gobble you up. You better figure out how to fight or contend. Yeah, how does he do that? By the way, Um, answer. He does it with false doctrine. He also does it by tempting you to sin. Yeah, the devil isn't just going to tempt you regarding sins of the flesh. He's going to tempt you regarding believing falsely. For your faith, because He will knock you out. You didn't know that this is a fight. You're in the arena.
3: You're in the octagon of faith. you got to figure out a fight because He knows how to fight and He will bully you. Well, David, I don't understand what you mean. I I don't really know what that even means. What does that even mean? What does it even look like in my life? Okay, glad you asked. Let's pretend... um, Let's pretend maybe you're, you, you go to Church by the Blades all the time. You're Christian. You're sincere. You're for real. You go to um, Sawgrass Campus. I love me some Sawgrass Campus. Would you love Sawgrass Campus? Yeah. Or maybe maybe uh, you go to Dade CI or Homestead, our, our prison campuses. Would you celebrate our prison campuses? And uh, man, what awesome people we have down there in our prison campuses. And, or maybe you go to our news campus
0: in Lake Worth. Or maybe you go to Sample Road. Sample Road, they have snow today at Sample Road. Like, no love, sorry. Yeah, so he's not going to explain that to contend and fight the fight of faith means both doctrine and life. He's not going to do that, which is probably why, or one of the reasons why he skipped verses one through four in 2 Timothy.
3: Sample Road, if you're watching, maybe you go to Sample Road. Come on, man. Celebrate our family. We're spread out. Or maybe you're a single adult and you go to our newest campus. You go uh, downtown Fort Lauderdale at 5 o'clock, 5 o'clock. Give it up for downtown, all right? So you're a single, you're a single, and I love our singles. We have great single dads and great single moms, and, and you do all that stuff. You multitask so sensationally. You're, you're raising those kids. You're feeding those kids. You're educating those kids, and then you hold down a job. And then here's something you may not know. Some of our best volunteers at Church by the Glades are single parents.
0: How you find what does this have to do with exegeting second Timothy four? Find the bandwidth emotionally and time wise. You're phenomenal. So you're, you're,
3: and then you love Jesus. You've been a Christian, maybe, maybe the last eight months and you're plugged into the church and you show up and you want to listen, man, you're taking notes on your smart note. And you were here last week. If you were here last week, by the way, brilliant move. Cause we had fun last week. And the topic last week was
0: our identity in Christ. As preached from the movie Star Wars, or the movies, the Star Wars movies. are The way God truly sees you authentically
3: for who you really are. And it's almost like God is giving you names. It's almost like the Bible is not merely the Bible. The Bible is your birth certificate. And God defines your authentic name by way of his word. And so you walked out of here by faith, receiving the word we discussed together. And you walked out feeling good, single. I walked out of a man. The Bible says, my name is chosen. My name is gifted. My name is forgiven. Though you're in our Dade County prison campuses and your environment is limited, the Bible says you are free in Christ. So in all the important ways, you're emancipated. And so single adult going to Fort you walked out feeling good. Man, Sunday with the kids, you're feeling good. And then what happened on Monday morning? Well, because you recognize this truth, your true identity in Christ and your real name, what did the devil do? All week long, the devil ran away from you. No, he didn't.
1: He's a fighter.
3: He's a fighter. He wants to beat the truth out of you.
0: Right. The devil wants you to believe lies not just lies about you. He wants you to believe lies about God, lies about what God wants you to believe, lies about, well, doctrine and things like that. So Monday
3: morning, before you got out of bed, he punched you in the face. How'd he do that? Remember Monday morning, Monday morning, you, uh, you had at work, you had that, that big meeting early on Monday morning, that, that important client. What happened is the devil hits you in the face because he's a fighter. You're a lover but not a fighter, but he knows how to fight. He doesn't fight fair. So you're not a bed. He fights you, and he hits you because your alarm didn't go off? Oh, no. And, and then so you're already running
0: late, and the kids are kind of dragging tail, but they're little guys you got to dress yourself, and you got to improvise. How about the part where the devil got them to go to church by the glades rather than the church that rightly handles God's word and preaches Christ and him crucified? For their sins.
3: It's breakfast, right? So breakfast is two solo cups with Cheerios inside. We'll eat in the car. And you get yourself some black coffee, no time for sugar or cream. You get yourself a little something to eat with that. And you're running kids, why are you not dressed? Well, I can't find my socks. I can't find my shorts. So I can't find my underwear. Your under your drawers are in the drawers. And then hit you. Oh my gosh, I left the underwear in the wash. Didn't put them in the dryer. Kids, you're going to school. Commando, don't tell your teachers. And you rush them to the car. They get strapped in. And though you're late for school, the car line is still there. You're going to be even later for work. You finally get the kids. You kiss them both. You're frustrated. You hop on 95. 95's always backed up. But now it's really backed up as a wreck or something. And what makes it worse, the thing you grabbed with your black coffee was a brand muffin. So you ain't backed up. You're like, oh, I need to get to work. And you get to work, and you're, and you're uncomfortable, You're unco- and the client
0: is early. What does this have to do with 2 Timothy chapter 4?
3: And you are late, and you rush in, and you feel like you don't do your best job, and your best presentation, and the client says, hey, we'll get back to you. Your boss looks at you like you blew it. And it's only 10.30 in the morning on Monday. And you are so pumped up Sunday after church, 5 o'clock, east side. you're so pumped up you're there in the great great you can't remember your name. Devil hits you. <clears throat> Bam. Your name is failure. Your name is unintelligence. <clears throat> your name is unspecial. Your name is un your name
0: really, the devil's telling me my name is unspecial. Really? You're making people sound like they're victims rather than perpetrators of sin. stuck.
3: He's hit you so hard this week. By the time you stagger into hump day, Wednesday, you don't know what your name is. By the time you get to Friday, oh, praise Jesus, grandmama's going to watch the kids. I got loose plans to go out with some of the girls from my life group at church by the glades, but the plans are loose. But those girls you knew before, those girls back in the day, you know those girls, they're attached to your history, but not to your destiny. And one of them hits you up on the phone and says, hey, we thought we might go clubbing. Why don't you go clubbing with us? You can't remember your name. What's my name? I, I The devil whispered, your name, <clears throat> your name is Party Girl. Your name is Drink Too Much. Your name is Drink Too Much, Make Stupid Decisions. You Regret the Next Day. That's your name. Go.
0: Uh, again, uh, to contend for the faith, in reality, if you read scripture, the majority of the emphasis is on right teaching, sound doctrine. Mm-hmm.
1: He's a fighter.
0: He's a fighter.
3: He fights dirty. Hit him back. Hit him
0: back. Your problem is not you're a bad person, not a dumb person. Your problem is you're not... No, actually, your problem is that you are a bad person. You are a sinner. What he just said is flat out wrong. not a balanced person. Be a
3: lover and a... Come on. Be a lover and a... Paul said, Paul doesn't say in the last thing he ever wrote, I love, I love you so much. I love you I love you and you and you and you get a car and you get a car and you get a chariot. Right? He doesn't do that. He said, you know, my whole, whole life, devil's been hitting me. I'm sitting back. I've fought the good fight. I finished the race. I wasn't just going to round one, man. I'm throwing haymakers in round 15. You got to fight. So Church by the Glades guess what? Today this church is transformed. This church is not a kissy-kissy club. You want a kissy-kissy soft little cute church? We're not your
0: church. This is a fight club here. And I am... No, it's not. It's a cesspool of entertainment and false doctrine. Unless you're fighting on the side of the devil. I'm your
3: trainer. Come on, Rocky
0: Balboa. Get back
3: up. Cut me, Mick. We're going to fight. You are surrounded by other fighters because you'll train harder when you're around other fighters. Amen? We're going to fight for our faith the way the Bible teaches us to.
0: And like all God's fight. Yeah, why'd you skip Second uh, uh, Timothy 4, 1 through 4? Uh-huh. Yeah. You, you're not fighting for the faith. You're not even teaching it. Fighters loudly said.
3: Yeah. Now, Now, the church is going to help you fight better as you habitually. Like Next week, you're back and you're bringing people. But I just say this: just look around you. Look around you right now. Look to the right. Come on, look to the left. Look at this awesome church. I just got to give you a little disclaimer: not everyone you meet in church is a fighter. I meet a lot of kissy kissy Christians. They're in for the fun, but have no stomach for the fight.
0: A lot of Christians went. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, you sure do dish up the fun there at uh, Church by the Glades. It's all about entertaining and scratching itching ears and telling what they want to hear, which is the reason why you probably didn't read 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 4. You started at verse 5.
3: Worship music! Oh, yeah!
0: Some of y'all, man, you give up that by the time you hit the parking lot.
3: A lot of Christians talk a good game, man. But when the bell sounds, no stomach for the fight. So as you choose your entourage, choose carefully. Quickly, your homework is the entirety
0: of 2 Timothy chapter 4. You're going to pick it up like in verse 9. 9. If they pick up in verse 9, it's not all of chapter 4 in its entirety. Why don't you have them start at verse 1, David? That would really help open their eyes to the truth, don't you think? nine, Paul starts like whipping
3: off these names, these names of the people, people in his entourage, personal details, you tend to read that stuff to the guy, it's not really helpful, no, no, it's God's word, so it's good, he mentions different people in his entourage, yeah, 2 Timothy 4, 1-4 through 4 is God's word, it's good, why didn't you read it? He mentions like, and I think it's verse 10, a guy named Demas, when I say three, loudly say the name Demas, ready, one two three. Demas, Demas. now if you're expecting right now, choose a name for your child, don't pick the name Demas, Because you know what it says about Demas? It says Demas bailed. Now Bible scholars, Demas was with Paul when he wrote his letters letters to the Corinthians, uh, excuse me, in Colossians, Philemon. So for some years, Demas had kind of hung out with Paul. But listen, Paul was a first century celebrity. Paul would roll into one of these churches he planted. He'd be celebrated. People would love on him, kiss on him. It's kind of fun to hang out with somebody who's kind of famous. Surfing the wake of all the goodwill that Paul had generated. So Demas was, he loved kissy time. But when Paul's in this dungeon defending his life, Demas runs away. Demas bails. Anybody ever promise, hey, hey, I'm your boy. I got your back. You ever need me, I'm there. When you need them, you're like, where'd they go to? Demas is that kind of believer. You will have some people that leave you. They will promise to be faithful. They will leave you. Guess what? Guess what? Why do people do that? I don't know. People have left me, people have left our church. But guess what? If there's someone you need in your life to achieve your full God given potential, they can't leave. It's impossible for them to leave. So if someone left you, they weren't necessary. Don't freak out, you go on. Demas,
0: Demas. What? So if somebody leaves you, they weren't necessary for you to achieve your God given destiny? Where are you getting that from the Bible? Left. Now, next verse, verse 11,
3: there's a name Luke, the name Luke. When I say three, shout the name Luke. One, two, three. Luke. Luke. Now, Luke wrote a book in the Bible. Can you guess which one?
4: <laughs> Luke. He wrote the book Luke, all right?
3: And I uh, wrote the book Acts. And here's a crazy thing. Now, now, Timothy and Luke. Timothy, is there by implication? These two guys, why Demas left? Timothy and Luke, Luke and Timothy, they stayed. Praise God for the people who stay. They stayed with Paul for years. That's one of the reasons Paul loved Timothy. He writes this letter because Timothy had stayed. Good times, bad times. Kissy time, conflict time. Right? Some people, they're there, they're there for the party, but they're not there for the fight. These guys said, regardless, we're your friend. Timothy and Luke. Now, here's the crazy thing. There's somebody here, not the way you're wired. Man, you're anxious and worried, timid, right? Guess what? Timothy, the Bible says, was fearful. He was a timid guy. But our God is a transformative God. And God transforms the timid into the tenacious, and Timothy becomes a fighter, and he stays. And then Luke, Luke, do you got like 30 seconds for like a cool sidebar about Luke? Do you have 30 seconds? No extra charge for this. 30 seconds here in the T-bird, 30 seconds. Okay, here's the cool thing about Luke. Luke is an author of sacred scripture. He wrote the book of Luke and the book of Acts. The scholars believe he's the only non-Jew to write any of the Bible. Only Gentile writing in the Bible. Now here's the crazy thing. Luke and Paul should have been enemies because Paul was a racist. How do I know that? Everyone in the Roman world was a racist. I mean, Romans hated Greeks. Greeks hated Romans. Egyptians despised everybody. And Jews have been so persecuted throughout the generations, they hated non-Jews. And Paul, it says in Philippians, was a Hebrew of Hebrews and a Pharisee. I mean, he's like, like a nationalist. He's he a racist. He hate, Pharisees taught the only reason, theologically speaking, that God made Gentiles was simply to fuel the fires of hell. I mean, if you're not a Jew, you're made by God to be eternal charcoal to keep the fires burning in hell. So Paul, before his conversion, was a racist and especially hated Gentiles. But here through Christ, Jew and Gentile become best friends and fight together. You see, I was watching that thing called the debate this week. Yeah, you saw it. If you didn't watch the debate, just watch it for the entertainment value. But for me, those awkward moments watching these two senior adult rich white people talk about racism. You got the question, how does America solve our racial issues and bring unity? Look at the church. Hey, Washington, check us out. <laughs> Hillary, Donnie, if you're watching, watching. We're not perfect. We're not perfect, but I love a multiracial church. Because the first place in history, maybe the only place authentically in the world right now where there is no Slave or free, no Jew, no Gentile, no male, no free. We're all one in Christ Jesus is the church. And I love our church is multiracial. Our whole church doesn't look like me. We look like how God made us. But I love the unity in our church. See, Jesus did not pray for our, our, our sameness. He prayed for our oneness. Some churches are like all white. Some churches are like all black. Some churches are like all Latin. That's great. Not hard to be unified when people look just like you when they all dress like you and vote like you and all drive the same minivan that you do, but when the church is different, so different, but we are one, so Luke and Paul should be enemies, but Luke is fighting with him, Jew and Gentile alike. And then quickly, quickly, almost out of ta- time, you're listening too slowly. Here we go. Uh, another name, another name.
0: Yeah, they're, they're listening too slowly. Yeah. Again, why did you not have enough time to read all of the text that you want them to read and exegete it correctly. Why did you start at verse five rather than verse one in chapter four? There,
3: another name is some weird names like Tychicus is a weird name. This is a good name, Mark. Mark, one of my best friends in life is named Mark. Mark shows up in verse eleven. When I say three, shout the word Mark. Ready, one, two, three. Mark is an awesome name. I love Mark. The story of Mark in the Bible. He says is awesome. Great, great guy. But somebody who went to Sunday school back and they said, wait a minute, Mark was like one of Paul's friends? Because in verse 11, I'll read it to you. Verse 11, it simply says, only Luke is with me. Get Mark, bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. And other translations say he's he's profitable, he's beneficial. The message says, get, go get Mark because he's, he's my, my right arm. If you went to Sunday school, like wait, in Acts chapter thirteen, didn't didn't he run away? Didn't he bail?
0: Didn't like Paul and these guys plan the first ever missionary expedition? And they- yeah, why don't you read out that cross reference? That that I mean, you have plenty of time here. I mean, they're there to hear the word of God, right? Why are you too busy to actually read out the cross reference? Put together
3: these these leaders and this young guy, Mark or John Mark, joined the team. Like on the first first like hardship. He ran away. Yeah, same guy. Not sure what it was, but, you know, in Antioch, and Jerusalem, it was party time. It was kissy time. He was there. But when persecution started, he was a mama's boy and he ran home. But in Acts 15, they're planning the second ever missionary journey. And someone says, hey, let's, let's, let's take Mark with us again. Let's, let's give Mark a second chance. And the Apostle Paul said, heck to the no. Say, so he's a coward
0: ran notice we're not getting a lot of frozen at this point so the movie frozen and having your daughters dress up as one of the characters from the movie or a disney princess that was all the bait to get you to come so that you can hear an out of context passage and something about being a lover and a fighter all in the context of this being a christian doctrine uh-huh no he's a kissy christian I need fighters. He wasn't willing to fight. It's too important
3: to give him a second chance. This is a dude named Barnabas. Barnabas, I love the name. Say Barnabas. Ready, one, two, three. Barnabas. Barnabas Bar- Bar says, look, look, look. He was young, kind of dumb. Let's give the guy, I see potential. Let's give him a second chance. And, and Paul says, you want him, you take him. You can't go with us. Barnabas says, cool, I'll take him. And they go on a journey by themselves. What happens? Bible doesn't say. But years later, Mark circles around. Mark comes back. Mark was like a Rocky movie. We love Rocky not because he wins. We love him because he gets knocked down and he gets back up. He gets knocked down, gets back up. Apollo Creed wells on him. Mr. T wells on him, like his eyeballs falling out, his ear is bleeding, right? But he gets back up because he has a trainer. Barnabas was the trainer. Come on, Mark, get back up. Get back up. You're fearful, but I see a fighter in
0: you. And here at the end of... Yeah, it's weird. He's talking about contending for the faith, and he's looking for examples, and rather than look at the obvious passages that talk about how to contend for the faith, rebuking those who teach false doctrine, things like that, silencing them, you know. <laughs> um, No, um, it, it's it's being an encouragement to the one who's down, but He's not actually reading the details from the biblical text. He's reading details into the text that are not there. Paul's life. He says, no, I need go find me, Mark.
3: Go find... And here's a greater honor. Mark writes the first ever Jesus story to show up in your Bible. First ever, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I know it shows up number two, but the earliest
0: one we believe was the Gospel
3: of Mark and the Holy Spirit thinking through all the
0: Christians on the. In, in, the church fathers say that Matthew wrote first. Just saying.
3: On the planet says, guess what? I need someone to write the Jesus story and I'm going to choose Mark to write the Gospel of Mark. How amazing is that? And he only was chosen to write because he learned how to fight.
0: You need to figure out how to fight. The enemy is coming. Where does it say that Mark was chosen to write the gospel of Mark because he learned how to fight? And what do you mean by fighting in this sermon? I really don't even understand what it is you're telling these people to be doing. What is the application here? After you. You're a loser. He hits
3: you. Man, you're a sinner. You're an addict. He's hitting you. That's not your name. Fight. Fight. Dude, what do you mean fight? I mean I mean this. I mean this. Let's get practical. Um, if you battle anxiety and worry, that's the devil.
0: I mean, you worry about stupid... It could be your sinful flesh, just
3: saying. So if you worry at night, by the way, everything's worse at night. You're laying in bed and you're worrying. You know, the Bible says, worry about nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. Right? So what you do is when he hits you with worry, you hit your knees and you pray. He hates it when you pray. Man, hell's taking body shots when you're praying. Stop praying, stop praying. So he'll stop you worrying, or you'll keep praying when when. All right, when he hits you with uh, stress, Scripture. Scripture, read the Psalms. Well, it's
0: hard to find my Bible. So resisting temptations, I mean, granted, that's a form of fighting. Not the only one. Scripture over and again says to contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Mm -hmm. rebuke those who teach false doctrine silence them seriously your smartphone is growing out of your hand it's surgically attached to your body put the
3: U version on your on your smartphone and you read the word of God every time he tempts you you're going to read the word of God I feel time crunch schedule okay every time you feel that go volunteer at the church that makes no sense watch God add minutes to your day hours to your week
0: when you give yourself away you stress. Yeah, where does it say that God's going to give minutes to your day if you go volunteer at church? Wait a minute, you'll stop clapping. You stress over your finances. Go to your phone
3: and download all the stuff you've got to download that you can, uh, you can uh, instantly give to church by the glades.
0: And every time you stress over money, give $5. And guess what? Uh-huh. So giving money to a church that twists God's word and... Engages in entertainment, God will bless that. Really, we're not going to be make
3: make it or break it on your five dollars. But it'll release something in your heart, right? You'll release something. How about this? Invite someone to church. Oh, he hates that man. That's a haymaker, man. That's that's
0: that's, that's a right cross. That's man, hit him, hit him. Invite some. Yeah, inviting somebody to church would mean taking him somewhere other than church by the glades. Invite someone to church. Invite someone to church. Invite. Oh, devil,
3: you're on my back. You're tempting me. My day is going bad. I'm gonna give you a worse day. Give
0: hell a hell of a hard time learn to beat the hell out of hell please oh this sounds so pious and what are you going to do for all the people who give in to their sinful flesh its passions its desires and all the temptations of the devil and the world what are you going to say to them you know remember at the beginning of the sermon you talked about how love isn't just a first kiss that it was a sacrifice Uh uh-huh i don't know if he's gonna do it i mean we've only got a few minutes left in this sermon but this is the place to actually talk to these people and tell them i know you haven't been sinless and christ has bled and died for your sins let's see if he gets there hit him back And
3: especially when he messes with your identity by messing with your name. So I'll close this way. Um, And then you get in your cars and move quickly. I need your parking space. Um, We've lost some athletes in recent days and months, haven't we? We, Jose Fernandez, great, promising, young, pitching talent for the, the Marlins, passed away in a boating accident last week. Same day. Uh, the iconic Arnold Palmer, one of the greatest golfers in history. Mega popular. He, he died on the same day. But a few months before that, we lost Muhammad Ali. You could argue, bless you, Muhammad Ali, most famous, uh, most famous athlete of the last 50 years, easily. Self-proclaimed greatest. Now, I love history and I love sports. I love sports history. Uh, I love the history of the heavyweight division. Uh, when Ali was coming up, the champ when Ali was coming up was a guy named Sonny Liston. Sonny Liston was bad. Sonny Liston was a big, bruising brawler, not a boxer, not a tactician, but he, was this, this, he learned to fight in prison for armed robbery. He had mob connections, but the mob didn't have to fix his fights. He knocked out everybody in the first round. He won the championship by a first round knockout. And so, in 1964, Liston fought Ali. Ali took him to six rounds, and Liston couldn't answer the bell in the seventh round. Ali, shocking, seven to one underdog, won the title. They scheduled a rematch. This time, he beat Liston in one round. That's that famous iconic picture: Sonny Liston laying out there, and Ali saying, "Get up, get up." And uh, but what happened between fight one and fight two was uh, Muhammad Ali changed his name. To Muhammad Ali. His name before that was Cassius Clay, but he legally changed his name. He fights after this, maybe a half dozen fights, and he fights a guy named Ernie Terrell. Ernie Terrell was six foot six. He was huge. This is back in the day. Ali was tall. Ali was like six three. But your average heavyweight fighter like Joe Frazier, maybe five ten. Rocky Marciano in the 50s, 5'9". I mean, they weren't big people like today. But Terrell was a monster. He was six foot six. And Ali, if you ever watched an Ali fight, when Ali got the upper hand, he would almost play with people, right? He was a a boxer. He was a technician. He would would mouth off, talk trash. Ali shuffle. But he beat the thunder out of Ernie Terrell. He was mad. He was angry. You know why?
0: In all the interviews before the fight, Ernie Terrell called him by his own name. Cue sappy music. Yeah, this is an emotional manipulation technique designed to create the false impression that God the Holy Spirit is now descending on the audience, uh, helping them make decisions of some kind. Every interview, he'd call him Cassius Clay. Cassius Clay. Cassius Clay. Made Ali
3: so mad, he pummeled him. And those close to rings that every time Ali hit him with lightning jabs, Bam! Bam! I always say, "Bam! What's my name? Bam! What's my name? Bam, bam! What's my name? what's my name? What's my name? What's my name? What's my real name? When Satan comes after you, says your name is addict, says your name is promiscuous, says your name is unlovable, says your name is unworthy. Hit him! Hit him!
0: Pray. Read your Bible. Invite someone to church. Be Jeff. I want you. Yeah, oftentimes when the devil tells you that you are certain things, it's because you have done certain things. He's reminding you of your shortcomings and your sins. And the way you hit him back is remind him that he was defeated by Christ who bled and died for every one of those sins on the cross. You repent. You receive Christ's forgiveness and mercy and grace. That's how you hit the devil back. You see, Christ was the champion who defeated the devil for you, silenced him for you. Then you can tell the devil, you can sit there and scream all you want. You can sit there and yell and tell me all these things I've done wrong. Every one of those sins is accounted for, bled for died for forgiven you didn't hit him i want you to be a fighter
3: i want you to hit him that's not my name boom that's not my name hey devil what's my name because the bible says my name is forgiven bam what's my name the bible says my name is free bam
0: what's my name devil bam what yeah this isn't much of a help What's my name what's my name hit him hit him he's got them all worked up hit him. Oh, you're
3: telling me my name is trash. But it says in John chapter one, I- I'm a son or daughter of the
0: most high God through Jesus Christ. First John chapter one says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God who is faithful and just will forgive our sins. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness.
3: What's my name? Bam! I'm a prince. Or ladies, you're not easy. You're not promiscuous. You are literally a princess
0: because God is your father and he's a king. Yeah, but what if they have actually been promiscuous? They're sitting there saying, well, I'm a princess. That's not the same as saying, Lord, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. You're not a fairy tale princess.
3: You're a for real princess. So hit that devil back. Be a fighter and a lover. Be a fighter and a lover. I got one last song. Don't you leave? I'm gonna bring heavenly joy back out here. Because sometimes in life you go in for the hug. Sometimes you go to war. Sometimes you tell the devil, you gotta fight on your hands. This means war. That's not my name. That's not my name. That's not my
0: name. Hit him back. Done. Total mess. And at the beginning of his sermon, I mean, he was dealing with the theme itself of the gospel. Sacrifice as as the true picture of love. God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for our sins. You can see it in the movie Frozen. The sacrifice and true love coming shining through. It's sitting there teed up for him in the movie that he was supposedly using as the hook and the draw to get him to come to church, and he totally botched it. I don't know what that theology was. It wasn't biblical. It's more like the opinions and musings and thoughts and ramblings of David Hughes rather than the teachings of Christ through his disciples and his prophets. Mm Mm-hmm. What'd you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash fire Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at firechristian. Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you with the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ, his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.